Hey, everybody, how are we today? All right, we're kicking off a new series called We Can't Stay Here. Help me with that on three. Everybody say that. One, two, three. We can't stay here. Seriously, we got to go to lunch after this, okay? All right, so we're going to have fun in this series, and we're going to chat and talk and challenge um, us both corporately as a church and as uh, individuals also on just this idea, this concept that we can't stay here. Do you know with anything in life, if you uh, stay immobile and don't move, you end up dying? Do you guys know that? Like if you literally like, if you've ever worked out and all of a sudden you stop working out for a long period of time, what happens to your body? It atrophies, right? It starts to shrinking, right? How many of you guys are, you're in your 40s now. How many of that, that started happening to you, right? It happened to you, right? How many of you guys are in your 50s? Yeah, all right. How many of you guys in your 30s it's happening, right? It really, really what happens in all businesses, in all organizations, even in your own family, if you keep doing what you've always been doing, you can expect the same, right? You've got to do something different to bring about different results. And so we're going to look at a series, uh, and I'm going to tell you a couple, a couple of really cool stories today, but I want to talk to us today about the idea of the fact that we can't stay here any longer. Uh, I really feel like God's been giving me just uh, a, a renewed passion about challenging our church. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to challenge the church. We're going to challenge you as individuals. We're going to challenge you as families. We're going to challenge moms, dads, men, women, girls, and boys to be looking at things differently and to be, be re- sort of accepting a new, fresh, maybe clarity and direction from the Lord. Now, I want to show you a real quick picture. This is, one, this is probably one of my favorite family photos of my three kids, Allie, the, the oldest, and then Ash, and then JD. Um, that's my favorite photo. Um, we, we have been taking treks now for several years to Colorado. My dad, uh, when I was real young, uh, got to go on a hunting trip in Colorado and got to lead his hunting guide to Christ in the 70s. And so in the 70s, when I was little, we started going out there and taking trips in the summer, and I just fell in love with the mountains. Anybody love the mountains? Gosh, I love the mountains. They just kind of, it kind of just takes my breath away and just puts me at a whole nother level, like just, it's awesome. And so for the last four or five years, my family, we, my family now, we've been going to Colorado, and it just so happens that we take road trips out there. How many of you guys have ever driven to Colorado before? Yeah? It's a long drive, right? So... Uh, half of my kids love it, and the other half despise it, all right? But we do it anyways, and, and we make the best road trip memories, and we have a lot of fun. But this is one of these trips, uh, and what happens to our family is every year we think about what we're going to do the up-and-coming year. So this year, leading into this trip, we were talking about, you know, what kind of hike, how long the hike, you know, how high the hike, what, what are we, we going to do differently than we did last year? How are we going to make this trip great? That's kind of how we, we, we roll as a family. And this, was, this hike was called Fairview. It's a, it's, a, it's a mountain that's in the teens. It's 13,200 foot. And I don't know about you, if you ever look at a mountain, if you're out west, you look at it and you go, oh, I can, I can hike that. That's easy, right? It'll take me half an hour. If you think it's going to take you half an hour, it's going to take you two. If it's, you think it's going to take you an hour, it's going to take you four, right? 
And so I remember this, this mountain, we, we rode up as high as we could get. I, had, I brought my little ATV, so we're, like, we're taking trips and shuttling everybody up on different little trips as high as we could go. And then we got on foot. We had our backpacks and hydration packs and, uh, you know, f- all the food and all the gear we'd need just to make this hike. And along the way, we were, we were hot, we were tired, we were run out of food, run out of water. And, you know, on some of these kind of trips, you, you know, you whine a little bit, you complain a little bit. But what happens when you get to the top you experience this mountaintop experience, right? You're like, we did it, right? And all of a sudden, we're dancing. We're like partying like, yeah, we made it. The Murphys, we rock. We're bad. We're the first ones up here. No one's ever made it but us. I'm sure there's been other people up to the top of this mountain. But we're the only ones. No one will ever do it as fast. And we like, you know, we were racing up. And if you've ever heard, heard me tell this story about J.D. getting lost, going up a mountain. Remember telling this story? Well, on that way up this mountain, we lost JD. We were racing up to the top of the mountain to see who could get there the fastest. Lo and behold, my son can officially outrun me in anything over like 50 feet. And uh, so, I mean, he's way ahead. And Allie and Christy and I and Ash were all like, where's JD? We start getting nervous because we call out to JD for like five, ten minutes now. We can't find him. And Lo and behold, we think he's gone. And in that picture, you can see over the crest, there's, there's like we climb up one side and the other side just drops off. And we, got, we knew when we were, get, we were going to get to the top, it was going to be full of snow. We thought because we couldn't hear him, he got to the top and played around in the snow and slipped off the other side. So we're panicking. We're running to the top. Now I've now got like renewed like hope and vision. I'm going to make it to the top of this mountain. And I'm like getting up to the top of the mountain. We yell for J.D. It seems like it's a literal half an hour. And all of a sudden, I'm like, J.D. And out of nowhere, you're like, yes. <laughs> you still had that high squeaky voice. He still has that high squeaky voice. And, we're, and finally, we figure out, like, what have you been doing? He's like, going to the bathroom. <laughs> and, and so we realize that number two takes longer than number one. Okay, the number thing, you know, so he was going number two. And bless the Lord that he had a good, proper bowel movement. And so all was well. All was well. So literally when we get to the top of this mountain, J.D.'s not dead. He's had a great bowel movement. The Murphy family, we're just like, it's happening. Right? We're having the best of times. So literally we stay up there. We laugh. We take pictures. The kids are all in a great mood. Mom and I, we're just having the best time. We're like, this is the moment. Right? This is, this is the moment. Let's cherish it forever. You know, you're, you're, you get this age like we are now, and you want to take pictures of everything, right? And your kids are like, oh, my gosh, another photo, right? As they're into selfies, they don't want them with us, right? I mean, you're too old for that. So, so we're cherishing these moments and, and, like, thinking we don't want to let go of this, right? We don't want to let go because this is the greatest moment, mountaintop experience ever. Now, when it comes to life, when it comes to business, when it comes to churches, What happens to the best of us is you have those mountaintop experiences and then you want to stay there. You want to stay on the top of the mountain because you remember getting there was hard, going down is going to be hard. So you want to stay on the mountaintop as long as you can, but the problem is you can't. None of us can. And what happens in churches, and I I know it's happening in us. We're eight years old. We just celebrated eight years uh, in January. And what's happening to us, and here's, here's my concern this morning. My concern is because our church had so many great successes, it would be very easy for us to live in the past 
And to, and to cherish is great, and to remember is great, and to say thanks is great. But if you stay living in the past and do what you've always done, you'll never go where God wants you to go. And so I don't want us to get stuck. Some of you, you feel that way right now in your marriage. You're like, yeah, we're in a rut. <laughs> we're in a rut. We don't have date night ever. The kids have all our attention. Or we don't have kids, and we're just busy working, and we're in a rut. And marriages can get stuck. You know, your personal growth can get stuck. And what happens to us, we can easily get on a mountaintop, look at all our successes, and, and get complacent and just stay. But the thing is, I'm challenged, and I'm challenged by what I'm going to show you this morning. We can't stay here. We can't stay where we're at. And we've had some unbelievable experiences. We've got some milestones that we celebrate all the time. And we, you guys know we're, we're the only church ever in Columbus, Georgia, to start a church and on day one start with 600, over 600 people. I mean, that's really unheard of in churches beginning. And we launched, in, and in the first two weeks, there was like over 90 people that bowed the knee and made Jesus leader and forgiver of their life. In the last eight years, we've charted over 2,000 people that have made Jesus leader and forgiver. I mean, heaven's more crowded because of what God's done. I think back to Easter's. We're, we're on the cusp of Easter, and I've got, you know, a card in my Bible, and I've been giving these out, and you've had, you've had these for the last couple weeks, and we're challenging you guys to invite somebody to Easter. But I think about Easter's. And I think about, like, our, our track record of Easter's have been unbelievable. I mean, I think our first Easter, we had, like, 900 people. Our second Easter, we had, like, 1,300 people. Uh, we, I remember looking back, in our third Easter, we rented the River Center. We spent, like, way too much money to pull off Easter, but it was well worth it. Uh, we had Easter in the River Center, and we had people walking around with backpack, uh, little backpacks that you could pump, uh, liquid, and we were giving people hot chocolate and, and coffee out of those things, and I mean, we just had this spectacular day where there was hundreds of people that, that made Jesus leader and forgiver, and we've had Easter's on our property. There's just, there's just, there's so many amazing stories, but my fear is, my fear is we, we could, we could stop, and we could quit moving forward, and my fear is we would dwindle up and die just like other organizations and other families and other businesses and other individuals stop and die. Um, some of you would say, and I think I, I want to believe this, that that'll never happen to us just because we're young and we're vibrant. We're only eight years old. But as I said to my dad a few years ago in my late 30s, I said, Dad, I'll never have hair in my ears like you. <laughs> he just smiled you know, he's 60-something, pushing 70. He just smiled like, okay. Like I said that to my dad, like, you know. And then, and then it, I was reminded just a couple of weeks ago, J.D., my, he's our, like our psycho little athlete. He comes home and does pull-ups and sit-ups and runs and does basketball drills on his own every day. And, and he's like, Dad, I'm not going to ever get chubby like you. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know I was that fat. But uh, he's like, I'm I just never going to get chubby. And I'm like, so what are you going to do different than dad? <laughs> because I'm, you know, I'm working out and I'm running and I'm whatever. And, I, and, and we say that will never happen to us. But the thing is, what are we going to do different that's going to cause us to not be like whatever we're thinking that we'll be like? So I want to show you two stories today. Uh, first one in Matthew. The next, in, um, the next is in 
Uh, where is it at? I'll tell you in advance. It's in Second Kings. So if you've got your Bibles today, um, uh, Matthew, if you're new to Bible studies, like mid, a little, little bit more than halfway through the very first book of the New Testament, and then in the Old Testament, uh, probably midways in the Old Testament, you'll find Kings. Uh, so Matthew, let me tell you two stories. Uh, the first is, is Jesus been preaching, uh, doing some incredible things. He grabs a hold of his, his closest top three disciple guys, and he takes them on a bit of a journey to create this moment, to create momentum out of this moment, and, and to do something in their life that, that would pave the way for the future of how he would use these guys. So he shows us some incredible experience, and so I'm going to tell you about this. Matthew 17, verse 1, it says, Six days later, uh, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. Um, and as the men watched, here's Jesus, and all of a sudden something crazy happens, and these guys are like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Jesus' appearance changes, right? And all of a sudden his appearance changes, and his face show, shown is, is bright as the sun, and his clothes become white as light, and then, if that wasn't enough, these guys watching kind of as, as, as innocent bystanders, it says, suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, if you're new to Bible study, Moses and Elijah were dead men. They hadn't been living in, in hundreds of years. They were pillars of the faith, kind of like early uh, beginners of the whole God movement. So these guys are like guys that had lived many years ago, they were like, like American idols. Like they were icons. They were like everybody knew who those guys were. They were talked about. They were, they were just like founders of our faith. And Peter, James, and John, they would have known who these guys were. So all of a sudden, these guys show up, and it says they're talking with Jesus. Now, we don't know what they're talking about. But I know they're talking about something awesome, right? I wish I would have had that moment that day. I wish I could have gone up on the mountain with Jesus. I wish I could have seen what that was like. I'm sure all of us would have been like, oh, my gosh, telling our friends afterwards. Like, we're probably trying to take pictures of this. To like, you won't believe what we just saw. You won't, I mean, showing pictures like we hiked up to the top of the mountain. You won't believe what happened on the top of this mountain, right? So these guys are talking. I'm sure everybody wants to know what they're talking about. But if you know anything about Peter, Peter was the guy, always, who just jumped at everything. He was probably the first guy that needed to be medicated with some type of uh, Ritalin, okay? Some ADD medicine, but this guy, Peter, he starts speaking. You want to say, Peter, shh, just be quiet. Let's let these guys talk. It's Moses. It's Elijah. It's Jesus. They're talking. Peter, pipe down. But Peter starts talking, right? So in, in, in verse 4, Peter exclaimed, Lord... And I think his intentions are good here. He says, Lord, it's wonderful, it's wonderful for us to be here. Like he's had this moment. He's watching this. He's like, man, it is so awesome that we're here. And he says, if you want, I'll make three shelters uh, as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, you can't blame Peter for wanting to stay in this moment. Right? Can you? Nobody could, nobody could say, Peter, you, you, you've said something wrong. You've had an incorrect thought because, I mean, who would not be like going, wow, what a moment. Let's sit here. Let's bask in this. And I think they should have. And I think what he was offering was great. 
But what happens to us, and I think could have happened to them, is people can get lost in that moment and stay in that moment and miss the momentum that God wants to use to transform their life and somebody else's life. So Peter wants to stay. So I think what's cool is when you come to a place like that and amazing things have been done, you do want to look back. You do want to remember what God's done. And I think about us. I think about you and, and the stories that have come out of what God's done here. So many of you have um, shared stories about how you showed up and you, had, you and your, your wife were divorced, right? You're, you're, you're showing up to church with your ex. You've got kids, and they're the, things that, they're the thing that's keeping you hanging on. And we've got stories of people that, that came like that and literally uh, got remarried in our church. We, we have stories of just things to, I mean, completely just applaud and celebrate that, like, we, you, we can't even imagine that God did. Stories of, like, just crazy salvations. I, one of the funniest things I can remember, one of our baptisms years, many years ago, um, we had someone that was baptized, and uh, they came out, out of the water, and they were, like, pump-fisting and, like, all excited and tattoos all up and down their arms. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is exactly who God's called us to reach. We're reaching people far from God. And then uh, they jumped up, and I was just in, sort of, like, embarrassed and blown away for a moment and uh, because someone handed them their towel, and their towel, they were shaking the towel like this, and I'm like, I wish it was an American flag, but it was a Budweiser, uh, you know, thing, and I'm like, that's our church. I love our church, right? And we got so many crazy, awesome stories of people far from God that have found, like, just complete life in Jesus, and I think that's what it's all about, and I think these guys are having that moment where, where they realize, Peter, James, and John, we're blessed. <laughs> we're blessed to be here. We're blessed to have gone with Jesus for these last months and, and seasons of life where we're different because of it. And I think so many of us, so many of you, you have stories where you're saying, I'm better off now because of this journey. But he, and, and here's the thing. I, I believe this. God's plan is always has always been to redeem us and to make things new. I think that's been happening here. I think we look around and we go, yeah, I'm different. God's got, I had a, my heart was dead. I was dead to the things of God. I, I, I was stuck in my ways and God's, God's made my heart new. My marriage was just stuck. It was in a rut and we started following God. We started obeying and, and, and getting connected and, and spending time in his word. And his, he just transformed us. We're different. I'm thinking my friend Jay back there. Just called you out, Jay. My friend Jay just celebrated how many years? Can you shout that out? Three years of sobriety, bro. I mean, that's just crazy. Sorry, Jay, but thank you. Um, it's just there are stories after stories after stories, and God is redeeming us. He's making all things new. So when Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to stay here, yes, but Peter you can't stay here. You can't stay here. Why? Because, because there is a crippled man that sits at a gate. Everybody knows him. Everybody walks by this guy practically every day, and every day they pass him by. And he's begging. He can't get up and work for himself. He's crippled. And Peter, you can't stay because, because Jesus has plans for you to 
to, to, to reach this guy. Peter, you can't stay because Jesus has set this guy up. And it's a plan for you to show up one day and to reach down and grab this guy by his hand. And you're going you're gonna to heal this guy. I'm going to work through you. We're going to heal this guy. And you're going to grab him by the hand. And he's going to walk again. And he's going to run off and tell everybody about Jesus. You can't, Peter, you can't stay on the mountain because I've got great plans for you. You've got to keep moving forward. Peter, you can't stay on that mountain because there's a lady who lives in Joppa. And, and she's a, an incredible seamstress. Everybody knows who she is. I mean, she can make clothes like nobody's business. And she's going to come and find her way back to God. She's going to become a Christ follower. She's going to bow to knee, the knee to Jesus, but then she's going to die prematurely. She's going to die prematurely. And all of her friends are going to be weeping and sad. And Peter, you're going to show up. And it's God's plan, Jesus' plan, for Peter to show up. And he's going to raise her from the dead. And that happened. That's in the Bible. And Peter, you, you, we'd love for you to continue to stay on the mountain and let's, you know, hang out with Moses and Elijah, and that's awesome. But you've got to come off the mountain. So you can't stay because there's, there's a guy who's just been stationed here who's not a believer, and Peter, you're going to go to his house, and you're going to preach to him, and he's going to become the very first Gentile convert, a guy named Cornelius. And Cornelius is going to become a Christian, and because he's a Gentile, and he's the very first Gentile that becomes a Christ follower, it's going to change the church culture forever so that people other than Jews can be saved. Peter, you can't stay on the mountain because you're going you're gonna to all of a sudden be in front of a huge crowd, crowd of people, and I'm going to fill you with the exact words, I'm going to fill you with my spirit, and you're going you're gonna to communicate like you've, never, like you've never talked before. And all of a sudden, all at once, there's going to be 3,000 people, Peter. They're going to bow the knee and make Jesus their Savior, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna make heaven more crowded because of you, Peter. And not only that, just a few moments, months after that, you're going to be in front of a larger crowd, and there's going to be 5,000 men that bow the knee and become Christ followers and find forgiveness and freedom. And not only them, maybe their kids and their children, maybe 15,000 that day that Scripture believes bow the knee to Christ. So, Peter, you can't stay. So what happens to all of us is because of our successes, because of our mountaintop experiences, we, we, get, we get complacent. We get lazy. We kind of forget our marching orders, and we kind of lose our passion. And I want to be honest, um, churches don't knowingly uh, create cultures where um, we want to keep people on mountaintops, right? I mean, we want to celebrate the wins. We should. We should CTW. We should always celebrate the wins. But I would say that because of some of our wins, because of some of our church's wins, because of our huge growth in the earlier days, we probably missed moments and, and forgot and left some people unconnected. And that's probably a leadership thing. That's probably like, wow, we don't know what to do with all these folks and how to get them connected, and wow, we're off to the races. And so along the way, what happens is because people are not connected, it's easy for people, and churches don't mean to create this, but churches do a great job of creating 
uh, just consumer spirituality, where we just show up and we're like, hey, if they just keep having the music get better and better and better, and the kids' ministry gets better and better and better, man, I'm on board. But what happens to us over time is we sort of forget that there's a purpose in all this. There's a passion in this. And so we're, we're getting ready to do some awesome, cool stuff. Um, and it's based off of how, how we had some very fresh new passions when our first church launched. I remember sitting on this stage and, and speaking to an audience of people I had no clue who were. And we're all smiles and like, wow, something's just happened here. And this is awesome. And this is like incredible. And, and just thinking like, gosh, we got to get to know each other. Man, how do we get to know each other? How, we got to like go have a football game or we got to throw some sand volleyball courts up or we got to like start serving together. We got to like get some Greek teams together and a parking team together. You know, something where we can start doing and being and living and doing life together. And I remember just adopting some phraseology. We said this, I said this so many times, I don't even know why I said it. I, I tried to drop it because I thought it was kind of odd. But we'd say, hey, you know, around here, no one stand. I, I said, like, no one stands alone or no one sits alone and no making out in the back row. And that, that little no making out in the back row was just an ad because we had terrible lighting. If you notice, we don't have great lighting around here. So we've bought more bulbs and added brighter bulbs and blown more bulbs and blown circuits, but always in the back, it's a little darker. Now, be honest. How many of you guys, you, you've sat in the back because you, you kind of like to be anonymous? Raise your hand. Be honest. Yep. Oh, yeah, everybody in the back right now. I can barely see you. But here's what I would say. I would say no sitting in the back road because I'm trying to think, I'm trying to acknowledge and kind of be funny. And on one Sunday, I said that. I said, hey, no one sits alone around here and no making out in the back row. And all of a sudden, I saw a guy's head pop up. And he was like, raised his hand like, got me. And then afterwards, he came up, he's like, dude, I, I totally was busted, man. I just got married like two weeks ago, and I felt like I was called out by the principal of the school. And, like, and I was like, no worries, man, no big deal. But, but, but here's the point. I so appreciate, I so appreciate when I hear stories about people who showed up and they were sitting alone, and someone came up and put their arm around them and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm Dave, or I'm Bob, or I'm, you know, whatever. And, hey, what's your name? And can I get you a cup of coffee? And I see people like, making these exchanges. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I remember standing with one of our guys in our church in my small group. And he was talking to a young military couple. And he said, hey, why don't we go to grab lunch afterwards? And, hey, you ought to come to our small group. We're going to have a Super Bowl party. And I thought, that's, that's what it's like. That's what it's like when you haven't forgot what you're, what you're doing. That's, that's not missing that's, that's, that's saying, you know, we appreciate the, all the success in the mountaintops, but we've got to keep going after what we're doing. We've got to continue to remembering the people who are forgotten. See, I don't, I don't think anybody should sit alone. When we first started the church, no one sat alone. We talked about it every week. We don't talk about it anymore. That's on me. We have people that sit alone. We have people that stand alone. We have people walk in and out every week, and they go unnoticed, and people walk in and out and they don't feel like this is the most accepting place on the planet any longer. And that's got to change. And I'm concerned about this. And so we're going to do something. We're going to do some stuff about it. We're going to try something new, and I hope you'll get behind it. But on Easter, we're going to try something out. We're going to call it, I don't even know what we're going to call it. But we're going we're to give some people a title called Section Leaders. And on Easter, because Easter is going to be so big, and there's so many people that show up, and they come and go, we want to take and give leaders uh, like five or six rows, and just say, own it, own it, and be friendly. 
and make your section the most accepting place on the planet. So when, so, so when sh- someone shows up, smile at them. Be happy, be friendly. And we're going to outfit people with like lollipops for their kids and like, I don't know, we got all kind of stuff. We're giving people, you know, bubbles. My wife's like telling me all the things as I'm like, what else? Bubbles, because bubbles are cool, right? I mean, I think, w- just think about it. You're a mom. You're showing up on Easter. You got kids. You're scared they're going to gonna like do something that's going to cause some outburst because it's a church service. No, no, no. We get bubbles around here, right? Rock the bubbles, people. We want this to be the most exciting, accepting place on the planet. So we're going we're gonna to do section leaders. It's going to be something totally different. We're going to try it out and see if it works. We may do it on Sundays. We may start doing it around here. Who knows? But we don't want anybody to stand alone. And so, um, so second story, Second Kings chapter 7. Let me tell you this. Uh, so there was a famine, and in, there was a famine in the land of Israel, and it was exasperated. Uh, this, this, this terrible famine was exasperated by the king of Syria, Syria, who came and surrounded the capital city and camped out in little mini outposts all the way around the city. So no one could come and go, and they could kind of control everything. And really, they were kind of like, they were just kind of, you know, causing them in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their famine, to kind of just dwindle and die even faster because they can control the food and the money coming and going. So all this was happening, and it was so bad that, like, people were eating their babies. Sick, I know. But that's how bad it was. So bad that, like, if somebody had food and they were cooking something and, and somebody else smelled it, people were so hungry, they would come and kick down your door and, and take whatever you had. So, I mean, get that picture. It's, it's really bad. And in verse 4 or verse 1, Elisha, who's sort of God's man in this season, he's praying to God, he's talking to God, he's getting direction from God, and now he's, He's going to start communicating to the people what God's telling him. So all of a sudden, Elijah replied, uh, and he says this, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Now, he's passing on what God says about, you know, all things, children of Israel and life, and, oh, by the way, there's this terrible famine. So God's speaking to them on their behalf of what's going on, and these people are struggling, and this is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, he's telling this to them, by this time tomorrow, he's got like big news. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of, markets of Samaria, there'll, six quarts of choice flour will only cost one piece of silver. That's big news. I'll tell you why in just a second. And 12 quarts of barley grain will only cost one piece of silver. Now, you've got no idea what's going on here, but to be able to buy, what he's saying is, you're going to now be able to buy this for a fraction of what you've been buying it for. And basically, God's going to do a miracle where you are now going to get food for free, basically. Like, you know, it's going to be such a reduced cost. It's such going to be such a big deal. It's, it's going to be something spectacular. Kind of like the fir- very first time Walmart showed up, right? Like, woo, Walmart. So here's the first Walmart in the Bible. So verse 2, there's a heckler, all right? Introduce the heckler. Uh, the officer assisting the king, in verse 2, said to the man of God, that's Elisha, that couldn't happen, right? That's not going to happen. Well, apparently, we've been stuck in this so long. It's such a mess. 
People are dying out here. You're God. You say he's real. He's going to do this. Yeah, whatever. He says that couldn't happen. Even, the, even if the Lord opened up the windows of heaven, referencing what? When God dropped manna from heaven once before, right? Referencing all that. Uh, even if God opened up the windows of heaven, not going to happen. But Elijah replied, this is his response, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Like, boom, joke's on you, dude, right? Uh, Verse 3, now there were four men with leprosy, four new guys, part of the story. In, In that area of Israel, they're starving also, maybe worse so because they've got leprosy, right? So if they had a family, they're excommunicated from the family. They're living on, the, ex, on, the, on the, 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 uh, the outskirts of the city. And these four men sitting there with leprosy at the city gates began to, to communicate. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back. So here, they're kind of just drawing their own conclusions like, our life sucks. We've been sitting here a while. Not much good is happening. If we stay here, we'll starve. If we go back into the city, we know it's going to happen. We'll starve there. We've, we've done that, tried that before. That's not worked. So if we stay here, we'll starve. If we go back there, we'll starve. So they come up with another idea, and they say, um, so we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army, which is another name for Syria. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, well... We would have died anyway. I mean, these guys are down on their luck, right? I mean, they're like, we got no good options. Let's, let's try something. So during, during this conversation with these guys and during their next few move, moves, Elisha, he's still communicating with God. He's praying to God, and God now, God's working. God's moving. And so Elisha prays to God, and they see some miracles where uh, they run off some people, they come back, uh, and then all of a sudden Elisha prays to God, and God, for the second time, causes the Aramean army, the Syrian guys who are on the outside of the city, he causes them to hear like thousands and thousands of hoof, you know, of, of horses on hoofs. And so they're hearing all these beats of these animals coming, and they get scared. God causes them to get scared, and they run off. So all the while, Elisha's praying for this. The people in the city are starving. The four leprous men decide they're going to go out and just, just give it their best try, and maybe the Arameans won't kill them, the Syrians won't kill them. So they go out to the outskirts of the city, verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. When these man, men came to the edge of the city or the edge of the camp, they went into a tent to eat and drink. And then they picked up silver and gold and clothing and went off and hid them. So all of a sudden, these guys, they show up out in the camp. They're taking everything they want, and no one's stopping them. Why? Because in the meantime, God was doing something. Unbeknownst to them, God had already worked, right? So these guys are out there. They're like, they're going from camp to camp to camp. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest day of of our lives. Their bellies are full. They're rolling around. They're feeling so happy, man. They're grabbing gold goblets and, like, packing stuff. They're like, man, we've just hit the mother load, right? It's like Merry Christmas to us. Well, then they sit there a while, and in verse 9, 
they begin to feel a little guilty that, that everybody they know is suffering back home. So in verse 9, they said to each other, we're not doing what is right. right? I, I'm sure they got their fill, they partied, they sat there on their little mountaintop moment for a while. And they say, today is a day of good news. And if we're silent and we wait until morning light, our sin will catch up to us. So what did they decide to do? So they said, let's go tell the king's household. Let's go tell the king's household. So essentially they said, we can't keep this to ourselves. We've got to go let them know, let them know what's happening. So here's, here's what's crazy. You and I, we've had some incredible experiences with God. Many of you, you found, you found faith. You found a relationship and a connection with God. Many of you, you've, you've crossed over the line of I once was lost and now I'm found. Many of you found forgiveness. So many of you found freedom. We've had so many tell us, uh, you know, I've, I've walked away from some addictions. We've had so many women tell us my man is a new man. We've had so many military women that have told us, my man will never show up to church. We smile when they say that. Because we've had so many women and so many men who are now connected, involved, serving, leading things. We just know God's already kind of already done the work. We just didn't know about it. And here's the thing. God's done the work. We just got to start telling people about it. We've got to let everybody know. We've got to go tell everybody. And we live, honestly, in the best time in church history to let people know. Think about it. We've got Facebook Live going on right now. We have men and women who serve in our military. I have wives on occasion that will text me and say, my husband's watching. He's going to watch today. Can you give him a shout-out? He's stationed overseas right now, or he's in combat right now, and they're going to get a chance to watch Sunday. That happens that happens. I mean, think about, I mean, think about our technology today. In my house, my kids have a thing upstairs. Alexa. They say, Alexa, play me a song. What's the song they play with Justin Timberlake? I got, what's that one? Does anybody, no one wants to answer that. What's the Justin Timberlake song? I'll ask somebody else. What's the cool, fun Justin Timberlake song? That's it. Can't, I can't, yeah, and I want to sing it. Um, but I mean, Alexa. How, what's the price of eggs at uh, Publix in China? Sorry, there's no Publix in China. I mean, you, technology's crazy today. We can do so much more, but we've got to be willing to go tell everybody. You know, our mission of our church is to help people find their way back to God. Many of us, I, have found my way back to God through this church. I'm so different than what I used to be because of what God's done in this place. But we can't live in the past. We've got to remember what God wants to do through us. We've got to move forward as a church. Why? Why, why do we need to move forward as a church? Why? Why do we need to move forward as a church? We've got two, two reasons. Here's, here's huge reasons. Number one, because the world needs us to. My friends, my neighbors... The, the people that we come in contact with, the, the lady that cuts your hair, the, the, the guy who you know, it, the, the store you go, our world needs us to. And I'll, as our church mission is to help people find their way back to God, 
our hope for this city, our, our vision for this city is that, that there, would not be a, there, there would not be a man, a woman, or a child that would not know Jesus in this city. That's our goal. That's our responsibility. I really feel like that. Why, why in the world would God give us such amazing successes and amazing victories and unbelievable milestones just for us to sit on the mountaintop and go, hoorah, look at what we did when there's so much more work to be done. So we've got we've to we've move forward as a church. Why? Because our world depends on us to move forward. Second reason is this. We got to move forward as a church because your personal growth depends on it. It really does. Um, I, I mean, I'm all for as many of you who are, are new to this church to be spiritual consumers. Just soak it in. Take your time. We don't want to force you to take next steps while you're new. But if you've been here for a while and you've had some moments and some milestones in your life, then it is up to you, it's up to us to become that person, to step into somebody else's shoes and to play a role. I I remember playing high school sports. I miss playing high school sports. I was not good enough to play beyond that. But I remember I had a whole lot more fun when I played on that field than my parents did watching us play on that field. We're a young church. Some of you are in the stands right now, and you've got to come out of those stands. You can't make Sunday morning your only thing. Some of you, 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 you you've got to start plugging in and making my church your church and taking ownership of it. Because if you don't, you'll die. You will. Just like going to the gym and working out hard for six months to a year and then stopping for two years, what happens to your body? What happens to your muscles? They atrophy. They shrink. Right? If you stay in the same place, you don't eat the bread of life. If you, don't, if you don't find nourishment from both soaking in and growing and giving out, you will die. You will never grow. You will not be the man or the woman that you want to be. And I'm, I'm here to challenge us today. Let's step it up. Let's, let's ensure that nobody shows up and stands alone. Let's ensure that nobody shows up and sits by themselves without having someone just oogle and google and smile all over them. It should not happen. Not on our watch. Why? Because we're the generation that God's brought to the mountaintop that we've seen unbelievable successes, and God is saying to us, let's get fired up. The world needs us to do this, and your personal growth depends on it. So here's, here's in a nutshell what I'm asking you to do. One thing, one thing. We must make God's church the most accepting place on the planet. I know this for a fact, because I, I get to hear the stories of people who drive and circle around our parking lot scared to walk in. I'm like, in this place? I mean, we're as goofy and as crazy and as fun. Yeah, they don't know that. 
they, they think you're just like, uh, like some of the others that are uptight and grumpy about God. They don't know that this is a life-giving place. They don't know that we celebrate a risen Savior. They don't know that God's changed us. We can't wait for someone to find out how awesome our Savior is. They don't know that. They drive around and they're like perseverating, like, oh my gosh. Right, scared and nervous. Somebody's got to step out front and crank up the music. Turn up the volume. Put on a smile. You know what we got to do? You can take this statement and boil it down to this. We must make God's church the most accepting place on the planet. You know how you do that? Be crazy friendly. Be friendly. Be friendly. Do you know what it does to me when I've had a rotten day? And I come home and my wife is smiling going, hey, baby, we can't wait to have you come home. I'm like, whoa, I'm glad to be home. Do you know what it does to people when they walk through the doors and someone smiles at them is like, what's up, dude? I hadn't seen you in like three weeks, bro. Great to see you today. It changes us. Why? Because most of us are carrying the world, our problems, our junk, our last night slip up, our yesterday's failure, my greatest flaw I can't get rid of. We've got to be friendly or as people, people won't believe our Savior. So let's do this. Would you commit with me that we make this church once again the place where nobody stands alone? And I'll let you slide. You can make out in the back row. Let's pray. God, we, um, we just pause and we're reminded that you're not finished with us. We're eight years old. We're an elementary age student. And God, we've got a lot of, lot of grades left. A lot of, we have a lot of growth left. And God, you've got a lot of stories you still want to write through us. God, would you ignite our passion? Would you cause some people in this room today that are listening, would you cause them to step up and play a role? to start being that face, being that, that encourager, being that person who rises up and makes my church their church. God, not so we could be cool, not just so we can have success, but God, so that the whole world would know that you're a Savior who loves us. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite our host teams to come up. We're going to close with an offering, but before, I, before we close, I'm going to invite up this group of people on the front row. You guys come on up. Um, let me tell you who they are. This is a, a partial group of our overall group that's going to go to Guadalajara, Mexico on our, our Team Mexico missions trip. And so this is Team Mexico. Can everybody say what's up? Yeah, yeah. So these guys are going to leave Friday. And they're going to go encourage, support, bring gifts, and lavish both Carlos and Carlisa, our church planner partners, who, who, uh, who have been in Mexico for several years now. They, they miss some things about America, right? Usually when we go, we, we, we freeze up some Chick-fil-A sandwiches and bring them. I don't, know if they've, I don't know if they've asked for that already, but they usually ask when we go. But they're going to they're gonna walk through the streets 
and serve with our church plant, Mi Iglesia. And they're going to hold people by the hand. They're going to hug necks. They're going to pick up orphan children. Listen, orphan children that have been sexually abused. And they're going to give them the love of Jesus. So I want you guys to pray for this team as they go on Friday. All right? Pray for them, support them, and uh, remember the work that they'll be doing. Their work is our work. Why? Because we are together the church. Let me pray for these guys. Lord, I I ask God you would just uh, powerfully go with this group. God, would you fill them with your Spirit's presence? God, I pray, God, with all the things that will go on this week that will say to them that they can't go for whatever reason. God, I know the enemy's going to send them, send them all kind of junk this week. And there's going to be every type of struggle and circumstance to, keep, to try to keep them from doing this work. God, I pray as they, they come off the mountain and they go out into uh, the, the woods and the wilderness, into the streets of Mexico, God, would you empower them? Would you use them? And could lives, including theirs, be changed because of their availability for you? Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Bless this resource today. Amen.